0: Um, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We will uh, get there in just a moment. First, uh, by way of reminder, we're having our pumpkin carving October 27th. It's a Friday, correct? Friday night, I believe? Yes? Okay. Friday night here at the church, October 27th. More details to come. Uh, you should be able to find it on our website. Yes? No? It'll be up. Okay, cool. Before we get into the Word, I just wanted to address the uh, the Israel situation a little bit from a biblical perspective, if I may. Obviously, we have all seen, I'm sure, extensively by this point, all that's going on over in Israel with Hamas and the Gaza Strip. Uh, we're very aware of all of the, the horrors and the atrocities that have taken place. I think we're very well aware that things are extremely volatile, and who even knows uh, where it will go from here. And so we pray for the peace of Israel. Uh, we, we pray for the peace of that region. We pray that God would advance the gospel and the kingdom in the midst of all of this conflict. But I know that we've all been, uh, without a doubt, pretty disturbed by the things that we have seen, the things that we have heard, and I'm sure that there's probably a lot of confusion, concern that arises. What in the world is going on? How are we to understand this biblically? What does this mean to us as Christians? And so there's a few takeaways I think that we could have uh, First, let me just say that I don't uh, pretend to understand everything that's going on uh, in this conflict, in that region. It's extremely complex. It's been going on for a long time. And I'm, I'm just over here in my little world, my little kingdom. And so I don't want to act like I'm an expert on these matters. I'm not. But I do think that the Bible can inform our perspective on some of these things. And so first, what I would say is, is one, what we're seeing is what's really in the heart of men. Uh, And women, the Bible teaches that apart from Christ, uh, we, we are separated from God, we're dead in our sin, and we are capable of the worst atrocities imaginable. Now that's not to say that every person is as bad as they can possibly be, but this is a good reminder to us of just how bad it can actually get in this world. It's a fallen world that we live in. It is under the power of Satan, the Bible says, and you know we are fortunate to live in a time and a place where we do, and we all experience difficulty, hardship, suffering, sickness, loss, for sure we do, but we live in a time and a place where we don't necessarily, I think, experience or understand the kinds of sufferings that may be gone in other places in the world or have gone out throughout history. We're in a very unique time. And so, the kinds of things we're seeing and hearing are not new. Those are the kinds of horrors and atrocities that have been going on all around the world for as long as the world has existed. We live in a fallen, corrupt, messed up world. It's a world that needs a savior. It's a world that needs to be redeemed. And that's exactly what God is doing. And that's exactly what God is going to do. He's not only redeeming people, but He will redeem the world. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, We will inhabit that earth in glorified bodies. And we will enjoy God's new creation. And we will serve Him and worship Him. And it will be a glorious thing. But we're not there yet. We are redeemed people living in a fallen world, still in these fallen, corrupt places fleshly bodies that are decaying with every passing day. And so what we're seeing is what the Bible tells us we should expect to see, unfortunately. Um, The hatred and the animosity towards Israel is also something that the Bible says we should expect to see. It's been their experience from their inception. They have always been a people who have been under attack. Uh, from their earliest days. Now, God made some pretty significant covenants with His people Israel. And part of God's faithfulness to Israel is the fact that they're still here. Now, they still suffer gravely. They still suffer in horrendous ways. God did not promise them that they wouldn't. In fact, He said that they would, that this would be their experience. But God promised, and this is on God's faithfulness, that He would keep Israel and that there were promises that He made to Israel that stand and will be fulfilled. God is not done with Israel. There are some very significant promises that haven't been fulfilled yet that will be fulfilled. Now, we believe that um, Israel will come to faith. There will be a revival uh, in the end times, and there will be a, a great outpouring of God's Spirit, and God's people will turn to faith in Christ, but right now, by and large, there is this hardness of heart, this blindness, this deception, and Paul says that that has happened so that they would not essentially receive the Messiah, but then through their rejection, salvation would come into the whole world. But then there would come a day when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in that God would again do a new work in Israel ethnically, nationally. There is land that they have not obtained yet that they will obtain. They will turn to their Messiah and faith. Christ will return and he will reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem. And so we await all of these things. And so we see God's faithfulness in that Israel is still here. He still preserved his people. But we see this very demonic attack happening against them because they are God's people, covenant people. They're hated by the enemy. Satan hates them, and they have been harassed by Satan for all of these centuries, a couple thousand years, even longer than that, much longer than that. And so I just want to remind us that what we're seeing is what the Bible said we would see. And it's hard. It's hard, but we have to remember God's in control, God is faithful, God is at work on the world stage, He's at work in individual lives, and He's working it all towards His ultimate plan of redemption, redemption individually, redemption for the world, amen? And so we just pray. We take heart in God, and we pray to God, uh, and we we cling to Him. Amen? All right. Let me pray for Israel, and let's pray for our time as well. Father, we lift up this situation to You. We are certainly grieved by what we have seen and heard, what has happened in, in the Holy Land. Of course, we're grieved for all of the folks that are dying, especially the, the innocent civilians, the casualties of war. Um, It's not something that we want to see, Lord, but we know that that's the way that it is in this world in which we live. We know, God, that you're using all of this. None of this is wasted. Uh, We know that you're doing some very major things on the world scale, and we don't fully understand it all right now, but we look to you, and we just cry out, God, for mercy. Mercy upon the suffering, mercy upon the afflicted. Mercy for those who are being held hostage, Lord, that they would be set free. Um, Lord, we we pray that uh, this would not turn into a larger conflict globally. Uh, We pray that the gospel would be advanced. That's the most important thing in all of this, God. That is what you're doing in the world. You're saving sinners and you're building your church. You're moving your kingdom forward. And so we pray that that work would be happening. And that would be the greatest good that could come from all of this because these these momentary afflictions, this suffering is not worthy to be compared to the weight of glory that awaits. And so help us to keep our eyes fixed upon the big picture and to trust you, God, and to not allow these things to drive us to a place of despair or anxiety or fear or disillusionment or doubt. But that we would understand that you're in control and all of these things are moving forward as you said they would and they serve your purpose and you're good and you're faithful. We trust you, Lord. And we pray for our time now as we get into your word that you would please speak to us. We love the word. We love the Bible. We love what you have delivered and preserved for us and we now have a copy of our own in our own language. You've given us your holy spirit so that we can discern these spiritual realities. I pray, God, that you would encourage our hearts in Christ today, that we would be built up in the most holy faith. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I don't know about you. Let me just speak for myself. I can be a pretty forgetful person. My wife goes on about what a great memory I have, but, you know, I always tell her I only remember stupid things that really don't mean anything. They're just random details from the past. But if there's something that I need to remember, I'm sure to forget it. Sure to forget it. And I would say that maybe a lot of us, I think a lot of us men, we can all relate to that. And I'm sure the wives could say amen. Um, But the reality is, uh, we can forget. We can forget things. And In a lot of ways, the Bible itself is a book that serves to remind us of the most important things, the most precious truths and realities that we must cling to, that we must cling to. And we see this over and over throughout the Bible. You know, Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 1, he said, "'Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord.'" To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. He said, it's not a problem for me to repeat myself. I'm happy to do it. I think the New King James says it's not tedious for me, but it's safe for you. It's what's best for you. And so knowing that, I'll repeat myself over and over and over. Peter says this in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. He says, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. And so Peter knew that his time was approaching. The Lord had told him years earlier he was going to die and how he was going to die. That he was going to be crucified. And Peter knew that that time was coming. And he said, while I'm here, while I'm still in the body, I'm going to remind you of these things precious truths, these precious realities, qualities, promises. I'm going to remind you over and over and over. He says, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. You know, Jesus, before he went to the cross, the night before he was uh, to be, as he was going to be betrayed and arrested and taken off and tried falsely, he spent some very precious hours with his disciples, and he reminded them of some things that they needed to know and some things that they would need to remember after he went on to be with the Father again. And those were so serious because as it, it was the words of a dying man, essentially, Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross. And so, again, that's kind of what we have with Paul in the letter to Timothy, These are the words of a dying man, he's going to die soon and he knows it. So he wants to remind Timothy of these very important, very necessary realities. He wants to stir Timothy up by way of reminder. Now Paul, we believe, led Timothy to the Lord when he was a very young man. We talked about that last week. And when Paul opens the letter of 2 Timothy, he refers to him as his spiritual child. His spiritual child. And we see, just in the opening few verses here, a pattern in the language. And look at this with me, if you would. Look at verse 3. I just want to show you this. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. Look at this. As I remember... You constantly in my prayers, night and day. Now look at verse 4. He says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now look at this, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now look at verse 6. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And so you see in the language here, in these opening verses, this uh, pattern, Paul says, I am reminded, I remember, I remember, therefore, I remind you. And then everything that follows in the remainder of this chapter flows out of that. And so I've titled this message, Reminders from a Concerned Spiritual Father, because that's what we have right here. It's exactly what we have. Reminders from a Concerned Spiritual Father. Paul was concerned. Paul was confident in Timothy, but he was also concerned. Paul was afraid that as things had gone the way that they had for him and that he was getting ready to pass from this life to the next, that Timothy was going to back down, that Timothy was going to pump the brakes. And we talked all about that last week. And that's the last thing that Paul wanted for Timothy. So before Paul died, he wrote this letter to Timothy to encourage him, hit the gas pedal, get after it. Now is not the time to back off. Now is not the time to slow down. And so these are reminders from a concerned spiritual father. And so with that, as we work our way through this chapter, we probably won't make it through the whole chapter today. I would say this whole chapter is one unit. I'll probably take it in two parts. And there are several reminders that are given here for Timothy, but for us as well, because these things are very relevant to Timothy, but they are also absolutely relevant to us. Paul would be speaking to us just as clearly as he's speaking to Timothy. These things apply to us. And so these are the things that he wants to remind Timothy of to encourage him so that he will stay the course, so that he will continue on well after Paul has gone to be with the Lord. And so point number one, I would say... Remember who you are and what you've been given. Remember who you are and what you have been given. I'm going to reread these verses again. Paul says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy is reminded by Paul of his great godly heritage. He says, I am reminded, I am reminded of the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So Timothy was half Jewish, half Greek. His father was Greek, his mother was Jewish, and his grandmother. No doubt they were Orthodox Jews, but when Paul came through Ephesus the first time, not Ephesus, Galatia, excuse me, Lystra, Iconium, Timothy's hometown, when Timothy was a a teenager, undoubtedly his mother and his grandmother came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through Paul's ministry. And it's very likely that Timothy did too. But his mother and grandmother evidently were powerhouses in the faith. And they took very seriously pouring into young Timothy. Investing in him, building him up in the most holy faith. And Paul says to Timothy, I am sure that this faith dwells in you. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that first dwelt in your mom and your grandma, and now I know it dwells in you as well. So, Paul takes Timothy all the way back to the beginning. He has to remind him Timothy, you're a Christian. Timothy, you're a man of God. Timothy, you are a man of sincere faith. And so, you must press on, you must stay the course. You have what you need. You have all that you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called you by glory and virtue. That's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. As a woman of God, as a man of God who has sincere faith in Jesus Christ, you have what you need. You are equipped. But it has to start there because if you don't have that, then you don't have anything else that follows in the remainder of this chapter. So that really is the starting point. And sometimes we really just have to go back to that place. Sometimes, when things get so crazy, so complicated, so confusing, so frustrating, so exhausting, we just have to go back, back to our first love, back to the beginning. We have to be reminded of the basics. We have to remember that we are men and women of faith. We have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and that we have what we need in Him. Amen? It's who we are. Who are you? Who are you? That's where Paul starts. Timothy, remember who you are. Remember whose you are, who you belong to, and who is in control of your life ultimately. We have to run back to that place when Peter was given the option to turn away by Jesus, everybody else left. He said, do you want to go too? Peter said, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life, and we've come to believe and know that you are the Son of God. Where else are we going to go? We have to go back to the beginning and remember who we are and whose we are, and what has been given to us. Look at verse 6. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. So Paul tells Timothy, you need to remember who you are and what you have been given. Timothy has been given a gift. Timothy has been given a gift. He's been given a gift in salvation. He's been given gifts to serve the Lord. Now, what has Timothy not been given? Timothy has not been given a spirit of fear, cowardice, He's not to have a disposition or a countenance of of fear, as it were. That's not from the Lord. What has he been given? He's been given a spirit of power and love and self-control. And can I tell you something? So have we. So have you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you are born again of His Spirit then these things belong to you too. And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, would say, fan into flame the gift that God has given to you. Fan it into flame. Now, that's actually a good rendering. Um, Some translations say, stir up the gift of God. And that's not bad. But really the idea here is a fire that is beginning to go out. What do you do? You kind of stir up the the embers as it were you take a poker and stir it up and you try to get it to burst into flame again that's the idea here that's what we are to do that's what paul was calling timothy to do remember who you are and what you've been given god has given you a gift we have been given a gift in salvation and we have been given gifts and service to him through the holy spirit Now, as I said last week, Timothy was tempted to just let those things fall by the wayside. When things get hard, when things get scary, when the difficulties come, we are tempted to just blend in. We're tempted to just settle down a little bit, not create any ruckus, not create any friction for ourselves. And that was Timothy's temptation, it would seem. And you can allow your gifts to go unused, and you can get a little rusty, as it were. You know what I mean? We can, uh, we can get a little cold. We can begin to let the things that God has have, have given us um, go idle. And Paul told Timothy, don't do that. Use what God has given you. And so first off, just as it pertains to our salvation, some people want to be saved. They don't want to go to hell, but they don't necessarily want to get in the game and be used by God. They don't want to try to go to a deeper place of holiness. They don't want to be called to a deeper place of commitment and sacrifice. They just want to coast, as it were. They just want Christianity to be a nice little thing that's attached to the rest of their life so that they can feel like they're good with God and they don't have any real consequences spiritually. And now they're free to just kind of focus on all the other areas of their life, not giving much attention at all to the things of the kingdom. That is wasting the gift of God. That is wasting the gift of God. It's a gift when we have been saved. It is a gift when we've been called from darkness to life. It's a gift when God has taken out our hard cold, dead, stony hearts and put in a new heart in our place and give us His Holy Spirit. And then we think, i got other things to focus on. i got more important things to worry about. That is not stirring up the gift of God. That is not fanning into flame what God has given us That's burying what God has given us. That's taking the talents that God has given us and burying them in the ground. And Paul is telling Timothy, do not bury your talent in the ground. Don't do it, Timothy. Stir it up. Stir up the gift of God that is in you. Why? Because God has not given us fear. We're not to be controlled by fear, but He's given us power He's given us a love. He's given us a love that compels us. A love for God and a love for others. A love that is willing to suffer difficulties. Now, um, some translations say he's given us a spirit of, he's given us a sound mind. New King James Version, I think, it says power, love, and a sound mind. Um, some say self discipline. The idea there, I believe, is he's given us rationality. Sometimes when we are overcome by fear, it becomes irrational, and we become paralyzed and crippled by it. We don't do the things that we ought to do. We don't say the things that we ought to say, because we are paralyzed by fear. But here Paul is saying, that's not from God. God has given us a power that overcomes. God has given us a love that overcomes. And God has given us a sound, rational mind that is not crippled by irrational fear, amen? We have what we need. Remember who you are and remember what God has given you. You have what you need. Sincere faith, the gifts of God in salvation and in service to Him, power, love, self-control. Those things belong to all of us in Christ. Well, the next thing I would point out, the next reminder, we need to remember the cost. There is a cost. Remember the cost that you must pay and the source of your ability. Remember the cost that you must pay and the source of your ability. Verse 8, He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So, perhaps Paul was concerned that Timothy was ashamed. You know, that was... was Paul's thing. He was regularly getting beat up and thrown in jail, and sometimes I think people were even using that against Paul. I think in Second Corinthians, I think if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, false teachers were trying to discredit Paul, and they were saying, "Look at this guy. You know, he he's really not that powerful in speech. He really doesn't have that great of an appearance. He's constantly being thrown in jail." I mean, is this guy really under the blessing of God? I mean, is God's hand of blessing really on him? Is he really an apostle? Because if he were, I don't think he would be constantly getting beat up and thrown in jail everywhere that he goes. That was kind of the rationale. And so, it could be that maybe even Timothy was struggling with that. And Paul says, look, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. It's easy to be ashamed of our Lord. I mean, it shouldn't be that way. It should never be that way. But somehow, some way, we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed. We're scared. Scared to share our faith. Scared of how people respond. Scared of looking stupid. Scared of sounding stupid. Scared of being embarrassed and picked on. Scared of not being accepted by the intellectual elite of our day so on and so forth we're ashamed god forbid god forbid what do we have to be ashamed of what do we have to be embarrassed about paul says timothy don't do it don't do it don't be ashamed of our lord and don't be ashamed of me as prisoner he says but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This word share here, the idea is is to partner with, to commit yourself to, uh, to partake of. And that is a call for all Christians. We are to share in suffering. Somehow we think that we're not supposed to suffer, but that really is one of the few promises that we will experience in this life for the Christian. You know, in the Old Testament, under the old covenant between God and his people Israel, there were these promises that if you keep my law perfectly, I will send rain, I will bless your crops, you'll have children, you'll have much increase, you'll have all of these wonderful temporal physical blessings, you will not have war with your enemies, all of these things are going to go great for you and you're going to live long in the land. Well, see, we don't have those kinds of promises in the New Covenant. We have very different promises. We have spiritual promises. We have greater promises. Because you know the thing about those temporal blessings? They don't necessarily amount to spiritual blessing at all. Oftentimes, the better things went for the Israelites, the further away they got from God and the harder their hearts got towards God. Sometimes physical blessings can be the worst thing that can happen. We've been promised spiritual blessings. But you know what? We've also been promised suffering. Suffering. But you know what? In God's economy, suffering is not without a purpose. Suffering conforms us into the image of our Savior. Suffering causes us to draw near to God in ways that we might not otherwise do. Suffering equips us to be able to comfort others who suffer as well, suffering serves as a testimony to those around us of Jesus Christ. We are those who are called to suffer because we are in Christ, and the world is going to hate us because of that, and the enemy hates us because of that. The enemy of our soul, and so we have to recognize that when we suffer, don't be surprised, don't be shocked. And the reality is, the more that we suffer, Lord. The greater ferocity we have in our service, the greater the suffering can be. If we're not suffering, there could be a reason for that. You know, maybe we are just blending in. Maybe we are just trying to fly below the radar. Maybe we're not really trying to make an impact for God in this world. Maybe the enemy is quite happy with where we are right now and our level of commitment and obedience and service to the Lord. But if you're suffering, don't think that something has gone wrong. Recognize that that's part of it. That comes with it. And believe me, I don't have it all figured out. I don't like suffering any more than the next person. And when I suffer, rarely do I stop and say, thank you, Lord, I'm so grateful for this suffering right now. It's usually the exact opposite. It takes really time. It takes, I think, time to come to this perspective in any given situation. I think our initial response is not a good one. It's not a mature one, typically. Uh, But that is the goal. The goal is to remember that even suffering is ordained by God and it is used by God for the glory of God. But we're not left to suffer in our own strength. What does he say here? Share in suffering for the gospel by what? The power of God. The power of God. So he says, remember the cost you must pay and the source of your strength. We can suffer well to the glory of God. We can suffer well in this life by the power of God. And that was Paul's encouragement to Timothy. Enter in to the suffering. Do not hold back. Just because things are going hard for you, Timothy, don't let that tempt you to bow out. Don't let that tempt you to try to take an easier road. Enter in. Suffer. Share in the sufferings. For the sake of the gospel. For the gospel. So there's a reason to suffer. It ain't just suffering for suffering's sake. So some people love that. They love self-loathing. Woe is me. They are just perpetually uh, eors and um, they're suffering. They want everybody else to be miserable. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a willingness to suffer difficulties for the sake of the gospel and to do it by the power of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. So we must remember that it comes at a cost, but we have the ability to persevere nonetheless. We can keep moving forward because we know why we suffer and we know the power that is ours in our suffering. Well, the next thing we see, number three, remember what God has done for you in the gospel. Remember what God has done for you in the gospel. So we want to remember who we are and what has been given to us. We want to remember that there is a cost and that we do have the strength to endure and we have to remember what has been done for us in the gospel. That might be the most important thing. I think that's what compels us. That's what compels us. Verse 9 says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So, Paul tells Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us. So, we've been called, brothers and sisters. We have been saved by God Almighty and called into a holy calling. And he says, it's not because of anything that we've done. There's nothing good in us that would deserve this. There is no good work that we have accomplished That makes us worthy of such a calling. But this was done because of God's own purpose and by God's grace. Amen? Amen. That's exactly what it says. Because of His purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before the ages began. That's a long time ago. Before the ages began. You understand? That's before there was time. Time is a created thing. God created time. God exists outside of time. We don't even have the capacity to understand that. But before there, before there was time, God existed in perfect Trinitarian glory and harmony, and He purposed that He would save us. And this was all His grace, all His grace. Because there was nothing in us that God could see that would make us meritorious of this goodness and kindness. It was just God's grace, God's love that He determined that He would pour out on us for His own purposes. Thank God for grace. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God that He saved us, that He called us, that it didn't have anything to do with our own works or our own worthiness but it has everything to do with his love, his grace, his purposes in Christ Jesus before time began. See, that's what will compel us. That's what keeps us going. It's God's goodness. It's God's faithfulness. It's God's power. It's God's purposes. It's God's glory. Amen? Amen. It's all God. It's all God. So we have to remember what has been done for us in the gospel what has been done for us in the gospel. We have been saved. We have been set free. We have been redeemed. We have been purchased out of our slavery. We have been bought out of our bondage. When we were helplessly and hopelessly lost, just as the rest of the world separated from God underneath His wrath and His justice... God, by His own grace and in accordance with His own purpose, determined that He would save us in love, that He would pay the highest price, that He would send His own Son to suffer His own just wrath that we deserved, that He would drink the cup of God's judgment that was meant for us in our stead, and that we would receive the righteousness of His Son that we would receive the gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace, that we would receive the gift of redemption, that we would receive this holy calling. That is the gift of the gospel. That is God's grace. That is the good news that we must remember. You've got to remember the gospel, folks. If we, if we forget everything, there's one thing we've got to remember we've got to remember the gospel. We have to be able to encourage ourselves in the gospel always because there will come a time when you will be tempted to question God's love for you. There will come a time when you will be tempted to question God's faithfulness. There will come a time when you will be tempted to question God's commitment to you. And you have to go back to the gospel. What has God demonstrated? What has God proven? What has God accomplished through the gospel, through His Son? The price that He paid. God did all of that. He's going to make good on His promises. God has been faithful. God has been so good to us. And Paul says to Timothy, you've been called to a holy calling, Timothy, called to a holy calling, a calling that began before the ages. Verse 10, he says, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He abolished death, amen. Amen. We see death and suffering in this world, do we not? We see it, it bothers us. It grieves us as it ought. But we realize that death is abolished in Christ. For if you are in Christ, then you live forevermore. Death no longer has a hold on you. You will not suffer eternal judgment or wrath. You will live forever through the glorious gospel. Let's look at one more point, and then we'll kind of we'll close here. Remember that God is faithful. Remember that God is faithful to you and worthy of your trust. Verse 11, he says, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, his servant. Don't be ashamed of my chains. And he says, I'm not ashamed because I know in whom I have believed He has believed in God. He has believed in Jesus Christ. And he is convinced that God is able, that God is faithful with what has been entrusted. Amen? It's God's faithfulness. It's God's ability. That's what we have to remember. That's what we have to be reminded of always. We have to remember who we are and what has been given to us. We have to remember that there is a cost to pay, but we do have the ability to pay it. We have the strength of God, the power of God. We have to remember what has been done for us in the gospel. We have to remember that God is faithful, faithful to us, and he's worthy of our trust. Amen? All right. I could keep going, but we'll end it there for today. Why don't we have a moment of prayer? Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we love you. You've been so good to us. May we remember these things as we ought. May we remember these things and may we be compelled by them. God, we love you. Lord, there's a lot of craziness going on in the world today. There's a lot of craziness going on in our lives. Everybody in here has something going on. And so I just pray, oh, Father, that you would help us, give us the strength and the grace that we need to carry on, to walk in the light as you are in the light, to be faithful to you, God, to cling to your promises, to trust you, Lord, to serve you well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. May He make His face shine upon you. May He lift up your countenance and give you peace. God bless you all. See you next Sunday.